Welcome to Women Under the Sun on the Business Radio X Network, where you'll meet extraordinary women with incredible stories in both life and business. And now, Kim Adair and Mark Bishop. Welcome to our inaugural episode of Women Under the Sun. My co-host, Kim Adair. Welcome, Kim. Hi, Mark. It's good to be back with you in the studio. It's been a long time, oh, hasn't sure it? Huh? Has. And you've been excited about the show starting up, too, and that's been taking a little while to get going, but here we are. But here we are. We're all set. Here ready we to go. are, ready to rock and roll. And what a wonderful guest to kick off the show with yes. as well. Kristen Ulmer is a thought leader on fear and anxiety, ladies and gentlemen, who draws from her tenure as the most fearless woman, extreme skier in the world. And that's for the last 12 years. Welcome, Kristen. Well, hi. You almost got it right. I was the best in the world up until 2002. So I'm long since retired, and I've been doing a lot of other things since my ski career. Let let me reiterate. When you did do it, it was for 12 years. Yes. There you go. See, Kim, we got that right. (laughs) We did. (laughs) Well, we're going to hear all about it. In fact, tell us. Let's start off with that. We're going to talk plenty about what you do with the corporate and those marvelous teachings that you do and the uniqueness that you do. But you know what? A lot of our listeners with podcasting, uh, particularly, Kristen, love to know about the person a little bit. So tell us where where perhaps did you grow up? What What was your hometown? Where did you go to school, college and stuff? I grew up in a small town in New Hampshire, Henniker, and I there was a small ski area in town, and thank goodness somebody handed me a pair of skis when I was younger, because I don't know what kind of trouble I would have gotten into if they hadn't done that. <laughs> and uh, I, the second I graduated from high school, which I graduated a year early, I took off to Europe and uh, was a ski bum over there for a year. And I came home, I'm like, okay, this is it, I need to ski. And I skied in jeans until I was 20 years old, though. Like, I, I wasn't committed to the sport enough to buy a pair of ski pants. I had full free range parents. I could do whatever I wanted. I could stay out all night in junior high school and they wouldn't even bat an eye. Like I had kind of a wild, um, young, younger life. And it all kind of seeked to bring me to the point where I become, could become a world-class athlete in a very dangerous sport for a very long time. Wow. Oh, tell you what, weren't you glad you got those skis, huh? (laughs) (laughs) So you went to college. Where did you go to college? I went to college at the University of Utah um, with a degree in international politics. It took me 17 years to graduate. And the only time I would go to school is, well, I went to college while I was in high school. So I graduated high school with a year done in college. And I, I didn't skip a single year for 17 years. I took at least one class. But while I was a professional skier, I only went to school while I was injured, which was often enough that I never missed a year taking at least one class. <laughs> There you go. So, and that, you know, was so early in your life, you really didn't have a clue where you were going to end up, did you? No, I didn't. And uh, I think the only reason why I became a professional skier, too, is I found a one way airline ticket from New Hampshire to Salt Lake City for $40. And back then, you could transfer tickets to another name. And if I hadn't found that ticket, I would have never moved to Utah. If I hadn't moved to Utah, I wouldn't have been a professional skier. I don't know what I had, been, had would have done. And that would have never led me to being a fear and anxiety expert that I am today. Wow. Well, see, the universe, Kim, always has plans for us, no matter what we think we are going to plan. Yep. It's what comes up. You um, Now, have I got this right? You, you have been studying Zen for some 16 years? Yes. When I retired as a professional skier in 2003... 
I wanted to figure out what had gone wrong because I felt burnt out. I felt like I, I hated my sport. Um, it, it just, something felt off. I had PTSD. Uh, I had adrenal fatigue. Like I didn't, I wanted to figure out what had gone wrong. So I started studying Zen and I started these mindset only ski camps and I hired a Zen master to facilitate them because they were the camps that I wanted to use. Like I wanted to run them, but I was also using them as a way to just recover from my ski career and figure out what had gone wrong. And I also felt like the only thing I'd learned from my ski career was hedonism and the gratification of my massive ego. (laughs) So studying with a Zen master and and partnering with him for the the ski camps is what ultimately changed my life and, and took me into being the teacher that I am today. So, uh, well, uh, from facilitating thousands of clients on flow and peak performance, how do you translate your experiences, you know, to other clients? Well, let's back up and let's even talk about what my ski career was all about. Because people hear, oh, big mountain extreme skiing. What does that even mean? Well, extreme is the consequences of failure are death. And we overuse the word extreme where there's like extreme tacos, extreme banking. Huh. You know, the only thing extreme about tacos would be like mm-hmm. possible food poisoning. Right? Yeah, right. But, um, anyway, it, extreme is you fall, you die basically. And so I risked my life sometimes on a daily basis for my sport. And I made a lot of life or death decisions. And so I was dealing with a tremendous amount of fear more than most people. And I, I did some things right by fear and I did some things wrong by fear during my ski career that I draw from to help people learn how to deal with fear and anxiety, which is, I mean, anxiety is fear. We don't like to call it fear. So we, we started calling it anxiety because fear has like a stigma around it. So we can use the word interchangeably, specifically anxiety is recirculating fear stuck in your body when there's no more perceived threat. So um, I feel like my ski career, as wonderful as it was, was really just an education for me to kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together about why people have fear issues, anxiety issues, and other emotional issues, and why what we're doing to deal with them, including depression, PTSD, things like that monkey mind, keeping you up in the middle of the night, Mm -hmm. like why these issues are so prevalent in our society, why what we're doing seems to work, you know, it works for a moment or a day, but why it actually causes long-term problems and what to do instead. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. So, so your book is called The Art of Fear, Why Conquering Fear uh, Won't Work and What to Do Instead. How is, how's it doing, Kristen? The book is doing great. It's been an incredible ride. I mean, it's, established me as an expert. I mean, I was teaching about flow states and peak performance, and I, I worked with a lot of professional athletes, Olympic athletes. I worked with the U.S. Air Force. I worked with Google uh, founders and, and on and on. Um, and uh, I found that what I was teaching around the subject of fear, which is so radically different from anything else mm-hmm. out there, most people teach the conquering or overcoming of fear. I teach uh, merging with fear and becoming intimate with fear to take you into a flow state. Um, I found that what I was teaching regarding fear was not only helping people perform brilliantly, but it also was solving a lot of people's emotional issues, the ones that I mentioned before, like panic attacks excessive fear, excessive anxiety, depression, PTSD. So slowly it dawned on me like, oh, well, even just from a marketing perspective, the fact that I was called fearless 
for so long. I was also voted by the outdoor industry to be the most fearless woman athlete in North America, beating women in all sports wow. disciplines, not just skiing. So here I am, this fearless athlete. I wasn't fearless at all. Mm -hmm. Actually, what was happening is that I had an intimate relationship with fear. And that's what made me so good out there. And so when I started teaching this to people, not just to become better at their craft, become more successful in business, but to also get somebody out of an emotional chasm that they're in, I realized, oh, my gosh, I, I have to write a book about this because there's nothing else like this out there. In fact, this contradicts everything that's out there. Right. You know, not fighting a war with fear, but actually merging with it, doing a dance with it, becoming intimate with it and using it as a resource for aliveness and being on point and, and bringing your A game to everything that you do. I mean, well, I, 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 it was, you know, yeah, I have to ask ahead. you, I mean, where did this come from? I mean, didn't you have any fear at all? And uh, then when you started skiing and the mountains and the speed, uh, what about when you were young? What about driving when you first got your license? Were you one of these, uh, you know, you never felt anything type people? No, I realize now, of course, you don't know what the heck is going on when you're 16 years old and getting your driver's license. Um, and you don't know what's going on. I, I, I've actually interviewed over 26 very famous professional extreme athletes, including Laird Hamilton, arguably the best big wave surfer in the world. Alex Hunold, who free soloed El Capitan. It's very famous for that. Wow. And they, I mean, Laird knew, but Alex didn't. Like, what? what is the deal with people that seem to be fearless? And we could take this out of sports and talk about Elon Musk or... Bill Gates or, you know, anybody that's highly functioning in, in business or any aspect of life, like what is going on there? Right. And when I, when I share my concepts with them, it's like the light bulb goes off and they start nodding their head so aggressively. I think they're going to break their necks. Like it, this is actually what's going on with fear. What I've been explaining about the intimacy with fear, not the denial of it, not the ignoring of it. So back to me though, in your question, I, felt fearless. I was called fearless. I seemingly felt unafraid of anything, but that's not what was going on. I was motivated by fear, fear of being invisible, fear of um, not being loved, maybe jump mm. off 70 foot cliffs, right? Uh -huh. Wow. <laughs> You're normal. I, You're normal. Right. right. <laughs> it's like I, I, was, I was more afraid of being invisible than I was of jumping off the cliff, right? Wow. And so fear motivated me. And fear motivates uh, – I mean, there's fear if you do something, and there's also fear if you don't do something. Like, which is the greater fear yeah. is going to be – going to determine whether you do something or not. So always there's fear. In every moment, every day, every situation of your life, even if you're not an athlete, even if you're not doing much with your life, there's always fear. Right. Well, even if you're like in a bad marriage, there's fear if you stay <laughs> in the marriage, there's fear if you leave the marriage, like, which is the greater fear. So it motivated me. And here's the thing. People who do really big things with their lives, mm -hmm. they don't do them despite the fear. They do them because of the fear. That's because true. the fear is what makes it interesting. The fear is what wakes you up and makes you feel alive and little else does. Like fear is actually one of the best things, you know, right up there with love, right? Mm -hmm. I argue. And and when you're willing to feel fear, you're going to do great things with your life. And then the fear is going to help you be great at uh, accomplishing the task at hand. Um, right. Like I only see fear as a good thing. And my relationship I did some things right. I did some things wrong. The things that I did right was just fully embrace my fear. The things I did wrong was deny it and ignore it. 
Mm-hmm. And so I had a paradox going on. And mm-hmm. so I did it right and I did it wrong. And so the stuff that I did wrong, I warn against with clients and the stuff I did right, I teach. Well, I, you know, I saw you on an interview, uh, a television interview. That's, I just put everything down and I just was listening to you and it so resonated with how I was feeling at that time. And that was before COVID. So I was so enamored with you and that's how I contacted you. Then I started pouring over all of your videos of you jumping off cliffs and I started passing that around to some of my friends and recently actually just had a, a captain, a major captain from a Desert Storm that that had watched your video and, and kind of iterated um, kind of the same thing, just facing your fears and embracing them. So Kristen, so why do you think fear, anxiety issues are getting worse and worse in the world right now? Well, you just mentioned the military. If you go to basic training, you know, the image of the drill sergeant screaming in the cadet's face, you know, while he just stands there stoically, mm-hmm. they don't come right out and say it, but what they teach is emotional repression. Mm. And um, I don't think they would ever call it that, but that's what they teach. And so why then, you know, 10 years later, do these soldiers come home with PTSD? Well, they are just really good at ignoring their emotions. And when you go through a really emotionally soul-crushing experience, um, even if you're just near one, you know, a lot of people that come home who are soldiers who have PTSD Mm -hmm. even had desk jobs, but just being around such negativity and not knowing how to deal with your emotions or be in flow with your emotions and let them kind of have their rightful place in your life, given the circumstances, you know, you, you push them down and they become depressed and, Mm -hmm. and then they wind up, you, you wind up giving them magical powers. And next thing you know, they're covertly running your life in a variety of ways. And so that's what's, what not to do, you know, but it's like, I I know the military isn't going to change that anytime soon because they think that anything else would be too dangerous. But the consequences is after 10 years, PTSD or depression or a host of other issues. Um, But when you're talking about Navy SEALs, Mm -hmm. the intimacy with their fear and their other emotions is taught, which is really, really interesting. So why don't they do that with the cadets? I don't know. You know, somebody from the military, please call me. Right? Uh When I worked with the U.S. Air Force, I hadn't figured this out yet. And so anyway, it's. So basically what I teach is that any attempts to, and let's just talk about fear. We could talk about anger, we could talk Mm -hmm. about sadness, you know, or any other negativity, self-doubt, frustration, grief, um, um, powerlessness, unworthiness, like anything that we see as being negative. Look at it this way. Um, Imagine you have a house full of children and half your children you've named love, joy, gratitude, forgiveness. The other half, you've named fear, despair, um, unworthiness, shame, guilt. Despite your best intentions, would you be able to treat them all the same? And no, what we do in our culture is we promote love and joy and gratitude and all the wonderful children. We love to feed them and nourish them and show them off to the world. Right. And most of our spiritual practices and emotional and psychological practices are trying to make, you know, get rid of the negativity and and positivity, positivity, positivity. Right. Gratitude practice is really big right now. Mm -hmm. So then there's these other children over here. What are we doing with them? Well, we lock them in the basement, put duct tape over their mouths, throw away the key. And we think, okay, I got rid of them. I'm I've chosen love over fear. They're out of sight. You just right. They're out of sight. 
Right. But guess what? They're now trapped in the basement. And because emotions actually show up first in your body, it's proven by science, like emotions are in your body. And when you, when I say they're trapped in the basement, that means that they're trapped in your body. So you're physically, do you, do you feel like you're, you're, I know for myself, so you physically feel that true? Yes, but it, it sometimes it shows up in one of three ways. If you are unwilling to deal with fear, anger, sadness, any kind of negative emotion, jealousy, you name it, um, it, it, like imagine that they're like water flowing through a hose and the hose is your body. You uh -huh. kink the hose, try to get rid of it. And how we try to get rid of it is the common methods used to deal with these things like fighting a war with them, conquering and overcoming, breathing in calm, breathing out fear. Um, <sighs> We go exercising in nature to, to get away from our anxiety or our, or our fear. And I see it not as a way to deal with it. I see it as a way to not deal with it. So, you know, right. we run away from it. We, we make ourselves so busy. We don't have to deal with it. We get really good at ignoring it. You know, all these things that we do is just all it does is kink the hope. All right. Now, I want you to know, go back a little bit with this. You must be resonating with your belief. There's no doubt about it. To facilitate and keynote speeches that you get around the world about fear and anxiety all over the place. And we're talking, you know, you touched on it before. You said Google. I mean, there's Citigroup. There's Olympic athletes, US Air Force. These are all big dudes, right? Big dogs. How on earth did you get on to that speaking tour, into that, you know, very inner circle of, of corporate teaching. How did you first get started and get recognized? Was it because of purely the 12 years of the awards and winning that you were doing? Or did you do something when you, you know, after that? Well, there's a lot of people out there writing books. There's a lot of experts that have an opinion. And, and there's some really, really clever work that's being done. And in the past, typically people who had a PhD or doctors were the ones that are taken seriously. And, you know, there's so many life coaches and, you know, you name it out there. Like, eventually there will be a correction where um, unless you have some sort of background that um, validates your right to be an expert on something, you know, then I, I think that there's going to be a correction. And it's mm -hmm. unfortunate because there's some really smart people that are coming up with some great concepts. So what I have come up regarding fear, um, I don't have a PhD, but I do. I mean, I have like five PhDs on what to do about fear from my ski career. And, um, through and doing it. In other Zen. words, through doing right. it. Right. Right. Studying Zen. Like, you know, I ha I just got inducted into the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Hall of Fame. Like, that's my education. Mm, and so people are, people are curious about what I have to say about fear and anxiety. And I have a completely out-of-the-box education about it. So I'm not just repeating the same old crap that everybody else repeats on what to do about fear and anxiety. I didn't learn about <laughs> what to do about fear and anxiety in, in a Ph.D. program and you know, based on theory, I lived it and I learned un unquestionably what to do and what not to do. And I made mistakes and I learned from my mistakes. And so, you know, smart people learn from their mistakes, smart people learn from their mistakes, but really smart people learn from people who have learned from their mistakes. And so That's I just have a, yeah. yeah. And so I just, you know, people just have a curiosity about what I have to say about this so, it, and the fact that it's so different and the polar opposite of what everybody else is teaching. It just, it's kind of a, 
interesting out of the box message and so needed right now because what we've been doing regarding fear and anxiety is so clearly hasn't working, been working. Right. Yeah. So you you really you really have developed a more progressive way to deal with fear and heal your anyone's anxiety, including your own. Yes. And I've never had anxiety. Um, I've had fear. Fear turns into anxiety okay. if you don't know how to deal with your fear. All right. And so um, like anxiety is fear is normal and natural. Anxiety is not. Really? Okay. Yeah. Talk, talk a little bit more about that further for everyone. Everybody right now that's around me seems to be feeling so anxious and stuck. I've got your book in front of me. So I was reading, um, you know, the stuckness and how do we get out of that? And how do we how do we move forward when we're sitting there in that anxiety? Right. And I mean, one in five Americans will admit to having an anxiety disorder. Mm -hmm. One in four Europeans, 40 44 percent of people in Iceland, for crying out loud, wow. admit to having. An, and these are just the people that admit to what it. Are I mean, got, what do they get to get anxiety about over there? <laughs> Tell me. You think it's beautiful. You know, like so, glass of the whole joint. I mean, everything's easy going and nice and cold inside by fires and and the rich, one of the richest <laughs> countries in the world, you know. But you talk about anxiety. I was in a plane crash uh, only at 22. And uh, not, nothing ever happened to me for 10 years. You know, I even flew after that, became a private pilot, and so on and so on. Uh, meet my friends in Sydney. There's a beautiful tall building that uh, goes around in a circle. You could look over the harbour having lunch or something like that. But, you know, uh, 10 years later, my world changed. And I tell you what, uh, I still suffer anxiety on bridges, on freeways, uh, scenarios in lifts. Uh, very hard to get rid of. Very hard, you know, and uh, everybody's you, different, it, you know. I, I, I know exactly what that is. And the fact that you mentioned 10 years just blows my mind because I talk about that at length in my book, that it's about a 10 year cycle. And it's right. why we see teenagers with anxiety disorders because of something they learned 10 years prior when they were very young. So it works like this to go back to uh, Kim, your question. Mm -hmm. I end up bring back in the analogy and and of the flow like we have this amygdala and it's the manufacturer manufacturing plant of fear it's part of our brain oldest part of the brain all data comes through the amygdala mm -hmm. and if there's a threat it'll create fear send it into your body you know proven by science and it's supposed to stay there as long as the threat is around to help you survive it and keep you sharp and focused and then once the threat is gone 10 to 90 seconds later so too is the fear oh, like wow. water flowing through a hose and it never it never gets into your thoughts it never gets into your head because the amygdala doesn't it's not a thought producing part of the brain uh -huh. it's just a manufacturing plant for these kinds of emotions and so and it like animals you can see it leads to fight flight freeze right without mm -hmm. thought mm -hmm. so you go through a, a devastating experience that's produces a lot of fear you ignore it you know you block it out you kink the hose so we're back to the kinked hose okay so that you know you can get away with the ignoring of fear for about 10 years and then your life just starts to go south. And it shows up if you're kinking the hose. And mind you, we're all taught. Our society supports this. Even self-help gurus, psychologists, doctors all support the kinking of the hose. They don't realize they're doing it. But any kind of message that fear is a negative will, or, and it's something to be gotten rid of or overcome, supports that message. So we kink the hose. It gets stuck. 
And that's so kind of what happened to you, right? About your 10-year mark where you started getting yes. hurt. You started yes. hurting, uh, getting um, hurt when you're skiing. So, tell, yeah, tell us right. more about that, what, too. Well, because what happens, and it shows up differently for everyone, that fear, imagine, like, the flow of water, and all of a sudden the hose is kinked. And next thing you know, that water trapped behind a kink hose will start recirculating round and round and round. Hmm. That's what anxiety is. It's fear that's trapped in your body that you haven't dealt with properly. And so around and around it goes. And um, for some people, it could show up physical as like lower back pain. Um, it could show up as a lump in your throat. It okay. could also show up as uh, an exaggerated version of itself, like anxiety, panic, um, panic attacks, right. irrational fear, or it could show up redirected in other ways that don't even seem like fear at all, like crazy jealousy or crazy anger or ah. incredible sadness, like depression. Right. Um, it could, you could also become so numb that you're, uh, cause you're unwilling to feel it. And that is a different form of depression. So you're just, you're, are you ignoring that, Chris? Are you ignoring that feeling? Tell, 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 elaborate a little bit more on that. That, well, I, it, I understand. Everybody's that. different because there's not, you know, it's not, this is not one size fits all. Everyone has a different way of not dealing with the fear. Some people ignore it. Some people try to let it go. Some people go and exercise as a way to run away from it or make mm -hmm. themselves so busy. Some people um, avoid feeling fear. Um, and thus they don't ever take risks and thus they don't ever grow and learn. But but back to the, the three ways, because I've only outlined two of the ways in which that stuck fear shows up. Okay. Either an exaggerated version of itself or redirected in some other way that doesn't even feel like fear at all, but it still feels emotional. Or the third one, this is the most interesting one, um, when trapped water is stuck, it, it needs to have some place to spill out into that fear will then spill into your thoughts. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, you'll have fearful thoughts. And then the fearful thoughts create more fear in the body. And the, then it's back to the thoughts and body thoughts thought, until your whole world becomes about this fear. And next thing you know, you have OCD or you have um, irrational fear or you can't sleep at night because, you know, you won't deal with the fear during the day. Well, that fear will wake you up in the middle of the night by hijacking your brain and making itself known when you're trying to sleep. Wow. So all of these um, situations or things, you know, everybody's symptoms are completely different or the result, the end result is completely different. Other people just have serious aches and pains or your body is super compromised and becomes the ideal host environment for illnesses to either be triggered like Parkinson's or oh, thrive wow. like okay. cancer. Like mm -hmm. it is the worst thing in the world to stop the flow of fear through your body. And it's taught by our experts. Mm -hmm. Exactly. They, they would never say that oh, I, I teach, you know, repression or the stopping of flow of fear. But anybody that has an opinion that fear is something to be conquered or overcome or gotten rid of or replaced with positivity or any of that, um, is helping support that rampant approach to fear that is just causing so many emotional, emotional, mental, physical, psychological, spiritual health issues in our culture today. Well, wow. we're listening to fear and anxiety expert Kristen Olmer. She's our very first guest on Women Under the Sun. And uh, your company is what? Olmer, Olmer International, right? 
Yes. You're Ulmer International, and uh, you're going to be on the site on uh, Tucson Business Radio X site. We're going to put all your details up about the book, The Fear. By the way, speaking of that book, is it on Amazon? Yes, of course. Yes. Okay, because, yeah, where else? And what, hard copies in bookstores, right? We, yeah, we and uh, just to elaborate, we have ordered it here, so it's here in Tucson. Uh, people are picking it up. Uh, when they were ordered, they've been picked up at Mostly Books is what we're promoting here. That's good. Yay. So let me ask you this. What's a more progressive way to deal with fear and overall heal our anxiety? What's the easiest way we can address it, do you think, Kristen? I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> well, you're trying to get it in, love. <laughs> well, first of all, it's become aware of your own unique relationship with fear. And uh, are you taking steps to try to overcome it or um, get rid of it or calm it down? Um, these things or, or uh, like cognitive behavioral therapy, like all of these things are they work, right? They're proven by science to work. And they make you feel better for a moment or for a day. It takes considerable energy. I know people that have goal-oriented meditation practices specifically to deal with their anxiety. And they get to the point where they have to meditate two, three, five times a day just to function. Right. Know that the solution is actually the problem. Like it's keeping you stuck just in a Band-Aid kind of you know, groundhog's day of just having to deal with it again the next day and deal or not deal with it. And so get to know what is your unique relationship with fear, have that awareness. That is absolutely crucial. Step number one, the awareness, um, awareness is actually power, you know, because once you become aware of something, then you can finally change the behavior. So, um, what's the definition of insanity? What? <laughs> Doing the same thing over and over and over. That's what it is. Right. right. So, and, and expecting different results and, and never getting them. expecting different results, yeah. Right. If you're doing the same thing over and over again and you have an emotional issue or you, you just can't bring yourself to take risks or um, something is holding you back, maybe fear of failure, like just become aware of what your relationship is with fear. That's crucial that's crucial to end the insanity of whatever your stuck place is mm -hmm. it's not going to end until you do that mm -hmm. so that's the first place the second hot tip is we have got to change our language how we talk about fear okay like even something simple like feel the fear and do it anyway is super disrespectful to fear hmm. like imagine you're about to go out and give a speech and you're scared and then fear is like your friend there, you know, or your enemy, right? Depending on your perspective, which you're, you've just acknowledged, you know, by being coming more aware of it, right? So you're about to go give a speech. Of course, you're going to feel fear and fear's there with you. And if you look to fear, see it as a person and say, okay, I see that you're here and I'm going to go out and give the speech despite the fact that you're here. Like, can you see how offensive that would be mm -hmm. to fear? Okay. So, so, Change our language. See fear as a actual human being in your life, like a roommate or a child. Back to my analogy of all the children mm -hmm. that are locked in the basement. Like, can you speak about your fear in a uh, way that is inclusive, that honors that fear? Like, speak to it like you would speak to a person or your child. So you're not going to slap your child. You're not going to slap the fear. You, you talk about embracing the fear. Right. And so... A lot of self-help gurus will say something like, oh, well, you want to embrace your fear, comma, 
and there's always a comma, but you don't want to get, let them get the better of you. Let it get the better of you. So it, it sends mixed messages. It's like, okay, fear, come here. I'll give you a hug, Aww. but then I'm going to punch you in the face, <laughs> right? I'm not going to let you get the better of me, right? <laughs> Any kind of derogatory language around fear, like just, I'm not going to be with you to hold your hand. Just, I have a, a, a change your language guide on my website, but um, just see it as a person and speak about it and to it as you would a person that you care about and want to have a good relationship with. I love yeah. that. So, well, I tell you, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been down under? I have. You know the Sydney Harbour Bridge? I don't. Well, when you, if you've been down under and you've been to Sydney, you're going to see the bridge. It's a landmark, right? And it overlooks Sydney Harbour and the beautiful harbour out to the seas through the heads and so on. Well, they've been doing walks for about 20 years now. And the bridge is like a coat hanger, so you've got that high thing. My wife did that, and my son, I didn't have the guts to do it. There was no, I couldn't even get up the ladder to get to the thing. <laughs> but um, she did it, and I was, I was blown away. She was scared stiff, but she had, what is it? Is it the guts to do it? Is it the uh, have to do it, the drive, the momentum? What drives people against a legitimate fear of fear? Well, everybody's different, but let me just simplify it by saying there's basically two ways that people can approach a situation like that. And this goes for starting a new business, falling in love, um, taking any kind of risk, having children for crying out loud, and yes, jumping off cliffs on feet. Right? <laughs> so um, you can block the fear out, you know, just go numb or ignore it or um, just blank. Everybody's different in how they do that and go and walk the bridge, but then you're kind of going to miss the experience of the bridge. Hmm. And right. Like, because you're going to have to dumb yourself down in order to walk it. I don't know. I and, think that there are so many different ways. I saw a documentary once. This guy takes people up to cliffs and, and uh, high uh, heights and on top of buildings, but he rubs their chest or something at the same time and brings up the fear or something by the third time they can do it. It's amazing. And that was just one that I've seen. I, I couldn't remember his name or where to find him, but that was one thing. You must have seen some uh, incredible, well, miracles, if you like. We can call them on your travels. Well, I will talk about that, but you got to let me finish because I haven't gotten to the second way yet. And I don't know <laughs> what he was doing, but I could guess. Um, a lot of people will rationalize away the fear. You know, they'll deal with the, the emotion intellectually and mm. they'll say, oh, there's been a million people that have walked across this bridge and nobody's gotten killed. Like they'll rationalize it away. But next thing you know, they're in their head and they're experiencing um, the bridge and they're just in their heads the whole time. Maybe he brought the fear out and helped them let go of it. But make no mistake, you're not letting go of anything. Right? Like fear is not something to be let go of. In a circumstance like that, fear is something to be enjoyed. Oh, the wow. reason, and it, which brings us to the second possibility. The reason why that bridge is so popular is because it's scary. Mm -hmm. And whenever you do anything that's scary, it makes you feel alive. And so we get that wrong. We don't do things because, despite the fear. We do things because of the fear. And so the question for the second way of dealing with that bridge is, am I in the mood for fear today? Because huh. it, it's not for everybody. It's not for every day. Yeah, right? Get out of bed. Am I in the mood right? for fear today? <laughs> I don't know. Have a coffee and I'll think about it. You know. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, uh, and if you are Christ. in the mood, 
Right. So let's say you're standing there and you have your 10 year old kid and the kid's like, I don't want to do it. And, and then Good, dad let's says, get out of here. right. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, daddy, please do it. Oh, no. Right. Or your wife or your husband like doesn't want to do it. Right. Fear is not stopping them from walking the bridge. Their unwillingness to feel fear is what stops them. Mm, that what, is, is that, is that the same thing for these new, um, what are they called, Kim, these twisters you see at these new parks around America now? Amazing things, inside out, upside down, you know, instead of just the old toot 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 over the top and what are they called uh, at the at the fun parks? At the amusement parks, yeah, yeah. I avoid those. amusement parks. Yeah, the, <laughs> I avoid. The, uh, no, I don't coasters. mean that. I know that. I'm talking roller about coasters. the machine, the roller right. coasters. The roller coasters. Yeah, but today they're not just that, are they? They're no, a lot and more it's the same that. thing. Water slides, like so. Let's say dad and a kid goes, and they're they're looking at the water slide or the roller coaster, and the one kid that is the son seems to be quote fearless, like says, "Oh, I want to go on the water slide," right? <laughs> That kid's not fearless. He likes feeling fear. It makes him feel alive, right? He's having an intimate experience with fear, and thus he doesn't feel fear. He just feels excitement. Uh -huh. And neurochemically, fear and excitement are exactly the same thing. Mm. So his other kid says, you know, I don't want to do it. You know, maybe he calls it his scared kid. So the dad says, well, there's nothing to be afraid of, which is BS. Of course <laughs> there's something to be afraid of. They designed these things specifically to be scary. Well, that's it. So, that's what I was getting at. Right. So he shames his kid for having fear. And then that kid will fight for his right to have fear. And so he'll become become more and more afraid and, and just or he'll grow up ashamed of his fear. Uh, now that's a danger. Um, or he'll repress it in yeah. order to get dad's approval and eventually become depressed. Yeah, see, that's have not panic good. attacks when that's, he's older. Or that's can't, right? horrible, yeah. Right. So, so what that dad should say to his kid is not there's nothing to be afraid of, which is ridiculous, and it makes the kids doubt himself and his emotions. That's interesting. You say, yes, they designed it to be scary. And are you in the mood for fear because – if you are, then we can have some fun with fear. Ah. And, and the kid could say, I'm not in the mood for fear. Okay, well, let me know when you're in the mood for fear. And then we'll go on the water slide together. And just imagine the trajectory of that kid's life mm. if the dad starts saying things like that to his kid. Not fear shaming him. That's right. And not talking in a derogatory way about fear as being a bad thing. Fear is only a good thing. Well, so I that's wanna, a, that's I that's a wonderful that, thing. Yeah. I want to buy it. <laughs> you know, I think with one of the biggest ones, Kim, that you can relate to the thousands of men and women who fear every day, and they may be, you know, uh, being treated for, let's say, a cancerous disease, yes. and uh, the, the living with that fear, but it's usually a fear of death and a fear of not wanting to go. And a fear of not wanting to leave your family. Uh, yeah, I, I had cancer once, and uh, the fear kept me from almost doing anything about it. So it's very interesting. So how did you turn around? How did you come back? I Because my best friend said, I'm here, I'm with you, and you're going to deal with it. Okay. So I'm listening to Christine because that's what you're, you're going to— it, I would love to uh, been back there with her when she would baby say, "I'm gonna, we're gonna embrace this fear together." Right, yeah, right. Like I haven't had a, an opportunity to read her book yet. Is there parts in that book um, at all, Kristen, that relate to men or fathers how to speak to children, how to address that issue? Yes, there is. Um, I have a language guide in the book, um, and also came back to your uh, cancer. Mm -hmm. You know, even if you don't have cancer, there's 
fear is just a part of our lives every moment of every single day in nearly every single interaction we have. Mm-hmm. It's just a part of life. And when you have cancer, of course, it's elevated. Or when you decide to do something scary, it's elevated. And like I said before, you have fear if you treat it and there's fear if you don't treat it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's fear, like I said, doesn't ever hold anybody back from doing anything. It's just your relationship with fear that holds us back. And as for talking, you know, parents, fathers talking to their kids about fear, um, it's, it's what I was saying before, just please no more fear shaming. Mm. It's the fear shaming that. that is causing anxiety disorders 10 years down the road. Like, like imagine a little kid, four years old, says for the first time to his dad, dad, I feel scared, boogeyman under the bed, right? <laughs> yeah, right. The, and then what does dad inevitably, inevitably say? Don't there's be nothing silly. to there's, be afraid of. Don't be, be silly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Here, let's go under there. Well, imagine to that kid how humiliating that is and how he feels like ashamed of the fact that he felt this. And that grows up next to, you know, 14 years old, 10 years later, mm-hmm. he just has issues with his emotions. Mm-hmm. Very good. And boys are notorious for being emotionally repressed. And thus they have higher levels of suicide. Interesting. Um, they can't get in touch with their emotions. Their yeah. wives hate them because they're not emotionally available. Like, Interesting do not stats. Set your... Girls do <laughs> not have the same. And you know why? You know why, Kristen? Because they talk more about things openly together as girlfriends, don't they? Well, women definitely have a better chance of um, being in flow with their emotions. But because of our cultural norms, like we're sadness shamed, we're anger shamed, like any kind of emotion or negative emotion that we feel the second we're shamed for it, which is culturally supported, um, we're told to turn that frown upside down. Anger is not welcome here. Um, it's, it's, we, women too wind up with Mm. emotional issues as Mm. well, because, and even like you look at the woman that just cries all day, every day, you think, oh, well, she's in flow with her emotions. She's not repressing her emotions at all. Well, look again, because, right. Because if you kink the hose, that emotion could show up as an exaggerated version of itself. And my guess is she's not enjoying crying. And so she wishes it weren't so. And when you wish it weren't so, it just is going to persist. I touched you're on, in resistance uh, to it. And, you know, earlier we touched, Kim, on corporate, that she travels around and yes. to these yeah. corporate. Uh, but you do uh, you do generic public, too, don't you? You like town halls or places you're invited to, special speeches. Uh, you, you go all over the country still when you get a chance, don't you? Well, I, I give a lot of speeches, but my favorite thing to do is work privately with one-on-one clients. Mm-hmm. Um my second favorite thing to do is facilitate people. So I actually don't like giving speeches so much as I like working with a group. And instead of telling them something, I like to show them because everybody's so different. This is not one size fits all. You know, everyone has a completely unique relationship with fear. And so what I'll do is I'll facilitate a group to help each individual in the audience figure out what their unique relationship is. And, you know, back to my tips, like get to know your unique relationship with fear you know, I I couldn't predict what anybody's relationship is until I work with them and kind of facilitate them. Okay. Change your language was the second tip. And then the third tip, which we haven't gotten to yet, is then learning how to feel your fear 
rather than think about it or talk about it or trying to understand it or try to rationalize it away. Emotions are meant to be dealt with, not intellectually, but meant to be dealt with emotionally. Mm. So learning how to feel it in an honest way and have it help you come alive. I really love that. I, I, hey, can you explain a little bit more about, um, because I really, really look forward to trying to set something up where uh, where we will set something up and we want to come your way. And we've talked about that um, to, when, it's, when we're able to travel. Um, you do your camps. Tell us a little bit about your ski camp, uh, your hiking experience a little bit. I have ski camps. They're called the Art of Fear ski camps. And I'm okay. also um, starting to do them in hiking right. as well in the summertime. And it's a way to not just be in flow with your fear and have, you know, turn it from a hold back into something that helps you excel and be magnificent. Oh, that'd be um, wonderful. Yeah, and get to know your unique relationship with fear and other negative parts of you, like what... You know, when somebody is stuck uh, and they just feel like there's something off, then what I help them find is what is it that they've been resisting? And Carl Jung said it best, to paraphrase, whatever you resist persists, like just mm -hmm. getting people in flow. What I mean, for some people, it's fear. For other people, it's something else. Mm -hmm. um, just getting in flow with whatever it is that's been jumping up and down and trying to get your attention for the last however many years, like getting them in flow with that and then kind of taking it to the next level and being in flow with it all in order to live in a flow state, kind of uh, transcend even our human experience and, and go into bigger states of like zone. Um, it, it's just, it's really a powerful experience and we do it together and it, it blows people's minds. So let me ask you a question out of left field, if I can, seeing you do a lot of one-on-ones. Um, what was the number again in the beginning of the show? I think you said one in four Americans or something. Was it a number that, are, you know, suffer from fear or anxiety? One in five suffer from anxiety in America, one in four in Europe. And I think maybe it might be higher in Europe just because more people are willing to admit mm, to mm. it. Well, I'm just and wondering, you know, do you find out, is there any correlation at all that you've found with statistics or anything that has come up that this is why the drug trade is so huge in America? Do you feel this has come from the 60s, 70s, it's emanated on to where there's so much fear now in our lives I mean, it's got worse over the last 10 years. I don't care which politics it is. It's got nothing to do with it. It's about just living and where we're at and wars and God knows what else. But it seems that more and more find a way to try and suppress it through the use of drugs. Right. And uh, you talk about war. The biggest wars in the world are not the ones that we hear about on the news. The biggest wars in the world are the ones that we have with our own fear. Mm -hmm. And the war is being carried out in our own bodies. And, you know, the, the language that we use to talk about fear, triumph over fear, conquer, overcome it, you know, contributes to that. And so we want to beat this enemy down. And you do not want to pick a war with fear. Fear will win every time. It's much older, much wiser than you. Um, and you're basically fighting the nature of life itself. You're fighting a war with your own body. Um, and so the war that's being carried out, ultimately people fight and fight and fight and fight mm. and med meditate like crazy and do breathing exercises and try to let it go and exercise and do all the things that the spe specialists recommend, try to rationalize it away, change uh -huh. your, your, your yeah. thinking, you know, right. All these things that we do to fight at war against fear. Well, it, we win a couple battles, but ultimately once we realize we're never going to win the war, 
we figure, well, I'll just have to take drugs then, you know, and that'll shut fear up. It's a couple. And yeah. it, it does, you know, it does. But in doing so, you it's like a modern lobotomy. You know, you <laughs> euthanize 20 to 40 percent of your aliveness for the effort. And it's just a temporary fix, you know. The second you get off the drugs, it's right back there screaming at you. Yeah. And, yep. and that's you right. know, us want it again, me, myself, and I. We sit down and say, no, it's no good. We need the drugs. <laughs> you know, there's the id, there's the ego, and then there's the consciousness. And uh, they control us. They're the naughty ones, don't you think? Nobody's naughty. It's just all <laughs> part of life. You do not want to pick a war against the id, the ego, or the superego. Trust me. You don't want to pick a war with anything that no, makes No, nothing's worth it. I'm reading humanity. a book at the moment, How to Be Happy, and by gee, it opens your eyes a little bit, I tell you. But, uh, Kim, before we go, is there anything specific you'd really like to uh, zero in on with Kristen? Just that... Um, basically, I'm just, I know I was supposed to see you that day when I was watching the telly. And um, basically, I just look forward to uh, bringing some people your way. And I definitely want to make sure that we get your book out here in Tucson um, as fast and furious as we can. So we can have a discussion with you in person. It's really what I want. And then we want to have a group of ladies type thing. Oh, yeah. Have we'll, a, we will like do, you did with Oprah. That we would be did good. that with uh, Oprah. Yeah, Oprah's that would be good. Well, Kim, listen, let's ask you this then. What final advice do you have to give to people who struggle with fear, anxiety, or any other emotional health issues right now? Because I think there's a pandemic on, isn't there? I've heard something's oh, going on. I'm yeah. not sure. There's something know. going on right yeah. now. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. So, yeah, please, come on. Give us a nice freebie. <laughs> That'll be okay. nice of you. Final words, final words. There are two ways, basically, to live your life where you fight negativity and try to, you know, culture positivity. Um, and it requires a tremendous amount of effort. And it's a noble fight for warriors only. But it puts you at war with your own self, your own body, with the nature of life itself. You're messing with nature. And it's, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a tough route. And it's, it's causing the rampant emotional and physical, spiritual health crisis that we face today. The wow. other possible way of living your life is to learn how to be in flow with it all, to be intimate with it all, which also requires effort. Uh, it's it's uh, counterintuitive. I mean, to turn towards your fear and make friends with it and embrace it and become mm. intimate with it, that's not cultural norms right there. Mm. Um, so it does require effort, but it's a whole heck of a lot less effort. And I've seen that if you do this, then you're no longer at war with the nature of life itself. You're not trying to swim upstream. You're not going to steer the river the way you you know want it to be steered. Like It's going to do what it's going to do anyway, right? You're going to be in flow with it. You're going to be in flow with your life. And you're going to reach your highest potential as a result. And so, I mean, in the words of Bruce Lee, the less effort, the faster and more powerful you will be. Well, like, cho choose the route with Bruce less Lee. effort. There you go. Yeah. That one I've never heard before. It's usually right? some Carl Jung or uh, Fritz Perls or <laughs> uh, Virginia Satir or whoever you want. But Bruce Lee? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Kristen so, Ulmer, yes. our very first guest on Women Under the Sun. Wow. Uh, That's fear and anxiety expert, flow states expert. You've been absolutely amazing and thoroughly enjoyed 
enjoyable. I thank you for taking the time out for us. And you're going to be on the site. We're going to send you the link to the show. Send it around the country. Put it on all your social media and let people hear it. And, you know, uh, people have the opportunity with us here, Kristen, because it stays on forever. So if they miss it once, they can listen to it again and again and take some serious advice from it. So we thank you for taking the time today. Thank you so much, Kristen. And and two things. Um, so we're going to put together an event, Kim and I, yes. in hiking, yes. right? So Whoa. Whoa. Right? Picking a day. And, I'm talking about and to get a day. started, to get started, uh, you know, for a new approach to negativity and fear, go to my website, kristenolmer.com, take my free fear and anxiety assessment, and that will start you down the path towards figuring out what your unique relationship with oh, fear is and All how right. to make it the best relationship possible. Okay, so I've just scrolled down to that now. KristenOlmer.com and Facebook.com slash Kristen, right? I believe so, yes. Yeah, that is that. Phone number I won't give out. I've got all this stuff on the site anyway for people to be able to, uh, to look you up. All the various links, and they can email you. But... Just one more time, what is it on the site that you want them to do? The free fear and anxiety assessment right on the homepage there. It's free. Cool. It gives you a ton of content, and it starts the process for you. Well, that's very kind I of you. I better get on that. Thank you for that. All right. Yeah, lots, lots of ahas on that free <laughs> fear and anxiety <laughs> assessment. <laughs> Thank you, Kristen. <laughs> Thank Take you, care. Kristen. God bless. And look after all yourself, right. all right? Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. What a lovely lady, huh? Oh, Yeah. Very, very nice. Well, how do you feel? And you know, motivated? Are you kidding? I got, I got a little nervous in there, and I was like, "Oh, she's just pulling out all the good stuff." But there that you was, go. Uh, no, that was tremendous. Oh, she's, she's really good. She's something. Hope else. you enjoyed it, ladies and gentlemen. And of course, you know, anytime being a podcast has come on to Tucson Business Radio X, and you can hear it as many times as you want. Well, thanks to Kim Adair, uh, the inaugural show of Women Under the Sun. And if you're wondering what the show is all about, it's, well, there's some terrific women lined up. Uh, it's really, um, you know, about fabulous, uh, extraordinary women with incredible stories uh, to share, both in life and business. And, uh, well, I can tell you what, we'd let the cat out of the bag, and I don't want to do that, but we've got some super people coming up. All right, so join us again, won't you, right here on Tucson Business Radio X. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Kim. Goodbye. Thank you, Mark. Join us again, won't you, on the Business Radio X Network for another inspiring Women Under the Sun.